0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network we all take on different roles every day one minute you're a parent the next a chef or a driver
1: Where is that? Hey! Good God. Hello and welcome to Pardew's Hot Pants, the new nostalgia spin-off series from Five Year Plan, with a new theme music. Lads, are we uh, are we impressed with the new intro theme tune?
2: Yes. Uh, well, I love a bit of James Brown, so yeah, it was it was lovely to hear that.
3: Yeah, you sort of normalised hot pants somehow quite quickly, J.D. Felt a bit <laughs> risky at first, but now now it's sort of bedded in. Exactly. Run with, run
1: with it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> very true. But uh, the
3: problem we've now got is that Pudgey's been sacked by Den Haag,
1: so he might turn up.
3: Still never been relegated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Crazy, uh, that. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, if he wants to join us on Hot Pants, then he is welcome to, to discuss Hot Pants. Um, of course, I'm Jim Daly and joining me is Jesse Boyce. How you doing, mate? I'm good, JD. Good to see you again. Good to uh,
3: break up the uh, lockdown routine with you once again.
1: I love it. I think actually that's what a lot of these pods, not just this one, but a lot of the pods we're doing, are becoming for um, our listeners and our contributors, actually. It's a nice way to sort of break that break, break up lockdown and uh, reminisce about Palace. And there's a lot of stuff to reminisce about at the moment.
3: There is. Uh, as I just said, it's a bit of a content bonanza for Palace because we always have eventful ends to the season, whether it be um, sort of surviving with the skin of our teeth, as we we're going to talk about, or getting involved in playoffs. I think we've been involved, it's been promoted through the playoffs to the Premier League more than any other team. And um, just, we just always have eventful ends to the season. I think that's what we've been struggling with the last two or three years is having... Mediocre ends to the season, so um, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel Palace not to be um, looking forward to those final few games of the season.
1: That is so true. Actually, I'd forgotten we'd have anything riding. Yeah, that's so true. Anyway, speaking of, of a man to whom the phrase content bonanza also definitely applies after his superb patron quiz uh, last week. It's Richard Foster. How are you doing, mate?
2: I'm very well, thank you, Jim. And I, I like the idea of, uh, you know, you being the master to unlock the lockdown. So, yeah, um, as as Jesse says, it's it's weird, isn't it, that because we are used to having dramatic ends to the season, that's why I think people are going, oh, it's a bit boring now, isn't it? But this is the most successful period in the club's history going all the way back to 1861. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it, that is, excellent. You, you know, we need to really, you know, remind ourselves that we haven't ever been in this position before being in the seventh or eighth, whatever it might be season in the top flight consecutively. So yes, it's fantastic to go into games, uh, being a little bit nervous, but actually, when you're in them they're horrible as we'll discuss in a minute but obviously if you get the right result they're lovely if you don't i'll take you back to 1996 yes. Steve claridge yeah in a playoff final yeah don't ever want to go through that again thanks very much
1: me neither <laughs> one of one of many games that i've cried at at crystal palace although i was 13 at the time um before we talk about today's game, which of course is Survival Sunday in Hillsborough, 10 years since that game in Sheffield, which saved Palace as a club, really, not just our championship status. And we're going to come on to talk about an athletic article, a really in-depth, brilliant athletic article on that. And we've got some clips from past interviews with Sean Derry and Paddy McCarthy. Before I do that, Jesse, I just want to pick up on Richard's point there and ask you both the question, actually. What would you rather have? Would you rather have Palace in constant May big games, be it relegation battles, promotion battles, playoffs, or would you rather be in the situation that we are now, where there aren't, isn't the drama in May, but we're having our most successful period?
3: Well, I've always said that, that being a Palace fan is good training for life. It gives you a good... You can't have highs without the lows and, and vice versa. You just It's a bit like... You're accustomed to the British weather, right? It's 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 never good for very long, and it's a bit like that for being <laughs> a Palace fan. So, as, as, yeah, just to back to that earlier point, is just it just feels a little odd to just not have going to the sort of business end of the season, not having anything to play for. That doesn't feel quite Palace, but I'm, I'm quite happy with it. I'm not complaining. It's yeah. it's just a little bit um, sort of. Uh, out of our out of our sort of comfort zone in a strange way. I don't know. It's um, but then and then, oh, and then what could be what could be more palace than the coronavirus just coming to uh, the season where we're looking for a, a complete safety. We are safe by the end of February, and uh, and then this comes along just to give us something else to think about. So I don't know. It's just typical palace, isn't it? Really,
1: there will be so many clubs doing podcasts now, saying, "God, isn't it typical." Wednesday oh isn't it typical Orient <laughs> it's typical Argyle that this coronavirus yeah, has yeah, come along yeah. I think we'll order. actually Richard as, as Jesse's talking there we still I'm thinking that all these seasons we've been up so you know the, the, the Premier League years last seven years even when there's been not much riding on games towards the end of the season we've still pocketed with these big May games Crist- Ball, was a game that meant nothing to us and that mm. was here obviously we had the cup final in 2016 we do still sort of pocket these games in May but it does feel like the last couple of seasons there's been absolutely nothing riding on it. I think, I think I'd rather have... I don't know. I miss the drama, but I think I'd rather be comfortable. What do you think?
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know, I know exactly where Jesse's coming from, but, uh, you know, the classic roller coaster ride of being a Palace fan, you can't appreciate the highs unless you go through the lows. Yeah. So if you are, you know, if you've been a Man City fan, In the last five or six years, the crushing disappointment of coming second in the Premier League is something that you have to get used to. But, you know, I've been a Palace fan. I was actually doing a podcast yesterday where this guy was interviewing me about my career as a journalist and a writer. And he said, well, what does Palace mean to you? And I I said, well... In the initial period, it was mainly pain, angst and anxiety. Um, but it's sort of grown a little bit and built into a little bit of joy now and again. And, you know, as, you, as Jesse quite, quite rightly points out, you know, the playoffs for us, and you are a bit of a nerd about the playoffs, clearly, have been very kind, actually, because we are the only team to have been promoted four times to the top division via the playoffs. And as I said, I think in the quiz, all in different decades, so 1989, 1997, 2004, 2013, 13, yeah. and all at different grounds. So Selhurst Park, New Wembley, Wembley. Uh, sorry, Old Wembley, yeah. Millennium.
4: Yes, New
2: Wembley. Wembley. <laughs> and, and no one's going to take that away from no one's going to beat that. So, um, you know, the playoffs and the, the May games are just the most tense things you'll ever go through. But if you get through them and you're victorious, it's fantastic. But yeah let's appreciate these good times because we've had some low times and let's face it we'll probably have some low times coming again we've just got to be prepared
3: i um i I think i just to go back on what i just said i said relative safety takes us out of our comfort zone in a funny way it takes us out of our discomfort zone yes (laughs) and we feel we feel safe in the discomfort zone it's just we're, we're conditioned to deal with it yeah and um yeah, it's just an adjustment, to, and in a good way, as you say. A sustained period in the in the Premier League like this is, it's what we need. We haven't got a rich benefactor in the Middle East. We need to be a sustainable business to build that stand and so on. So, we'll, we will uh, we will we will ride the, the wave of comfort, and we'll, we'll be better off for it in the long term. Once once everything sort of gets back normality. to some sort, of, some sort of normality.
1: I was just thinking though, as you were saying that, the discomfort zone. <laughs> is a perfect sort of palace Like I feel like that should be like a, a, a part of cellars somewhere like near the fan zone you got the fan zone then you've got the discomfort zone as well which I think there would be more people in there
4: stand up, baby. Yeah. let me see where you coming from yeah. stand up baby. Yeah. let me see hey, get me. Good
1: We are here today to talk about one of those big May games. It's, of course, Sheffield Wednesday 2, Crystal Palace 2, 2nd of May, 2010, the 10-year anniversary having just rolled around. And it's been really nice. The last couple of pods, we've been getting memories from various contributors to FYP. We did a pod with the athletic team last week with Matt, uh, Dom and um ed and they were giving us their memories we did the main pod with the the regular guys this week and there were some great memories there ender got talking about all the family going together kevin talking about wandering around norbury unable to listen to it uh it's it and i want to get your guys memories as well because i think every palace fan will have certain memories of that game and to do that we're going to use A very in-depth article uh, from The Athletic this week, written by Matt Woosnam and Nancy Frostick, who is their Sheffield Wednesday um, reporter. I don't need to tell you that The Athletic are a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of the world's oldest professional football club. They're a subscription-based website website and app, and they're completely ad-free. No annoying pop-ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. Now, this article is called Cramped Trains, Ambrose Magic, and Clark's Toe. Ten years since Palace survived. I'm going to go through the day, guys, and I'm going to give you a couple of quotes because I've spoken to some big names on the day. Before I do that, uh, Richard, just give me your memories of sort of the start of the day for you. What emotions were you going through? Well, funny enough,
2: uh, as I speak to you, I was in this room watching it on the television over there. I didn't go to the game. Uh, My wife had gone up to Scotland with my son, so I was pretty much here on my own. And to call... I I couldn't really cope with it. I've got to say, you need someone with you, I think, in the really tense times. And when you're on your own... uh, My middle daughter was here, but she hasn't got a great deal of interest in football, so she was away. And I just... I remember sitting in here just you know when your knees trembled literally trembled. <laughs> it was like that throughout the whole game I would I just couldn't really uh, I was just tense I was nervous I couldn't even have a beer because it was it was on a Sunday and I thought maybe I, should, I couldn't go out of the room you know the superstition was kicking in and I just remember it all building up building up to that kickoff and then uh, in a way the the game just was a bit of a blur and obviously I watched it religiously last time they you know on last weekend when they replayed it which my wife thought was a bit odd that I would be watching a game from 10 years ago where I knew exactly what was going to happen yeah but you do forget a lot of the incidents which I know we're going to come on to but it to sum it up I was absolutely bricking it and I, I just because i persuaded my son to become a palace fan i didn't want us to go down you know because it could have been as we all know a disaster and we could have been liquidated and taken off the face of the earth um so i just didn't want it to happen and then i was sort of just hoping that something would would rescue us and you know we will find out what did rescue us in the next uh, 30 minutes or so
1: yeah it was jesse i, I went up with street and my brother Seb, and we spent the weekend up there. Uh, and it was it was one of those weird games where I've been to pre- previous games where Palace have either gone down or stayed up. You know, the Stockport game in 2001. There's the Charlton game in 2005. Yeah. And all those games, you're nervous because something's riding on it. But this game, as Richard says, there was so much more riding on it that it was almost it was impossible to be anything other than nervous, but it was almost, it was too much. It was almost too much emotion because there's so much, it was almost sort of too much to comprehend. It was a very, very weird feeling when you know that you might lose your club within 90 minutes.
3: Oh, it was, it was ever, if there was ever a more deserving fixture for the title of survival Sunday, it was this game. You know, it was one of them was going down. I mean, how often has that happened? Um, but, but Sky were loving it more than anyone else. Um, on my day, I, I had a classic mini at the time, and the, it was a ridiculously early kickoff. It was about midday or something, wasn't it? Yeah. And I so I had to drive up there in my classic mini with my brother and my mate Owen, and my mate my mate Ed, who I sit with uh, as a season ticket holder for for a long time now. He had to, he was at a wedding in Brighton. So he couldn't be there, <laughs> which I love to remind him of every time like, the, the anniversary comes around. Ed, you missed this game because you were in Brighton at a wedding the day before. <laughs> so we drove up and it was the worst weather for driving, let alone in an old car like that. And it was just grey. It was just the greyest of days <laughs> driving yeah. up to the north. Um, I've never been to Hillsborough before. I'd never been. We haven't played them since, I don't think, have we?
2: No, Not we probably really haven't, have, have we? Because obviously they went down. Yeah. Then we had a few years stayed and went up, and by the time they'd come back up, we were back up to the Premier League. I think. Yeah.
3: I hope we sang "We'll Never Play You Again." That rolled that one out <laughs> at the end of the game. I can't remember if we did. And so yeah, it was my so it's my only memory of ever going to Hillsborough, and, and um, it just the, the stadium just feels stuck in the seventies or eighties. So. It just really felt old school. And My memories of the game I was in the upper tier, I think you were as well, weren't you, Jim? Yeah. And I was somewhere on the left. And the scoreboard, I remember, was far on the, on the right-hand side. And I, and I think I saw every minute tick down uh, on that scoreboard. I, and I, like, my neck was hurting. i constantly looking, craning my left, neck to the right to see the scoreboard just counting the minutes down. And I, I, there was some guy who stood next to me uh, his name was Graham. I always remembered that. And he'd never, he was on his own and he just like, had to be here. And he's like, his, he just basically had a row with his wife to be there. He missed some family occasionally. I had to be here. And uh, we obviously, I remember embracing with him at the end, never seen that guy ever again. Wow. So if Graham's listening, that's, that was me and I remember you. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of the rest of it, you know, the, I think I, the only pictures I have from that day were from that position, which wasn't great up in the upper tier of, the aftermath when the Sheffield fans were charging towards us and there was a line of stewards and we were obviously full of joy and watching Clint Hill take them on one by one. That was the only pictures I've got at the end. I wish I took more pictures that day.
1: Yeah, I didn't take many pictures either. The only pictures I've got is one from the start when the balloons were let off um, and then one from the end... We've got the guy in front of us to take a photo of me, Seb and Street. And Seb had brought his lucky Palace shirt, which, is, which we used to call Rancid shirt. So it was that mid-90s training shirt that looks like loads of Palace shirts are thrown up on another shirt. I'm sure everyone knows what I'm talking about. And we held that up like we just sort of signed for Palace or something, like some sort of trophy. I don't think we took that shirt to another game, actually. I think that was it, it sort of used up all its luck on that one day, <laughs> the lucky Rancid shirt. And I've got one more photo of me outside the away end afterwards sort of arms aloft outside the Lepping Lane end, which of course brings with it all its own history as well. Mm. I'm sort of arms aloft looking really happy, which again, juxtap- juxtaposed with the history of Lepping Lane is sort of weird. And there's no one else there. So we must've been there for hours after that. We must've been there for ages. There was literally no one else there. I don't, I don't know why we were there so late after the game. I think everyone just sort of milled out after the game and just sort of What's happened, kind of thing, you know, that sort of weird yeah. post euphoria kind of what's just happened. We saw Mark Goldberg; had a little dance with Mark Goldberg, which is <laughs> very good. Anyway, I want to take it back to the start of the game because <laughs> there's there's loads of information in this article. And a lot of it I've sort of heard before, but it's good to be reminded of it. Particularly, Richard, that Palace went up on the train and they couldn't afford first-class tickets because the club was so broke. But they had reserved seats in normal class and they got there and all their seats were double booked. Um, So all the players were sitting on the floor of the train going up. They stayed in a terrible hotel, some dodgy hotel just outside Sheffield. And there's a good quote from Paul Hart here. He says, "Uh, I trusted the players. They were experienced. They were proper men who dealt with things and I trusted them implicitly. It was exciting. I was excited and had no nerves at all. I was worried. I wasn't worried. I came across a group of men who were on the floor a little bit, but ready for the fight. And I read that thinking, yeah, they were literally on the floor of this train going up. I mean, it's very palace, isn't it? Well,
2: I mean, you you, it, it's sort of beyond comprehension how that happened, really. Um, clearly, the club was in financial ruins and, you know, we could hardly afford to stay in a hotel. And as you say, we had to stay in a really dodgy hotel. And there was also, that, I think it was in the, mentioned in the article that we'd hired um, a pitch to train on and, the, uh, and it was waterlogged. Yeah. As Jesse said, it was terrible weather. I think it rained a lot in the second half, not so much in the first. But, you know, you didn't even get to train for possibly the biggest game of all these players' lives. And as you say, they're cooped up on a train. I mean, we've all been on a train where we haven't got a seat. It's really uncomfortable. And you get off and you... Imagine playing football after that journey and not being able. It's just... It just puts it all into perspective about how... Great that team was. Uh, Not necessarily great players, but the spirit. And as you know, Paul Hart doesn't get enough credit for this. He took over, you know, when Warnock buggered off to QPR in March, and he was picking up the pieces here of a pretty rotten club which was in a lot of trouble. And he just had this. He imbued this confidence. I loved the, the little snippets, which obviously we probably can't repeat on the family show about what he said just before they went out yeah. for the game, um, suggesting that they should be relegated, not us, in, in fairly colourful terms. But um, overall, <laughs> it, it just became, and, and uh, I just wanted to make this point, that it became the relaunch of Palace, as far as I'm concerned, because we've been through a pretty awful, you know, not just the financial side. We weren't terribly good, were we? For quite a few years, we talked about the comfort zone. We were mid-table, mediocre, championship yeah. side, yeah. not going anywhere. If there was going to be a direction, it would have probably been down. And then suddenly, this season came about. We were on the verge of the playoffs. We flew to Newcastle. We were on the verge of relegation because of the administration. And then, you know, we get this massive game. As Jesse says, there is no better definition of survival Sunday than this game, because it was us or them. And, you know, that was it. And, you know, that sort of do or die, you know, it's either great celebration or disaster. Is just, that's what football's about sometimes. It gets down to this one game the 90 minutes and my word it was quite a 90 minutes
1: that is such a good description of it being the rebirth of palace because that is so true because you think about what we've achieved since then and it's almost like the public image of palace was changed overnight because suddenly we you know the the homestead fanatics been doing their thing for a bit and we knew that the atmosphere was good at good at uh, palace game time in a way but suddenly it was on tv for everyone to see and they saw these hardcore fans packing out the ground they saw this hardcore team fighting for their lives and i think actually it it was like a rebranding for palace in the eyes of everyone else we knew what this palace stood for what it meant but actually the whole world got to see this new crystal palace which has then started on a journey that's taken us now to our most successful top flight so i think jesse richard's right you can almost pinpoint Obviously, we knew that Steve and the boys came in then, or they were talking about the deal at the time, and then sort of came in a few weeks later. But I think you can almost pinpoint all our current successes that we talk- talked about at the top of the podcast. You know, these uh, the lack of the dramas now because we're cruising in the top flight down to this ninety minutes.
3: Yeah, in some ways, it, we, the holding company being called CPFC two thousand and ten just sort of rubber stamps that, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, which it always felt weird that we would give ourselves as a strange. Uh, name for the the official business um, company name but yeah but it it kind of means more as time goes by because it's it is like a like a new beginning ever since then and sort of 10 years on Um, CPFC 2020 is just a different animal it's just quite insane what's happened to us and everything that's gone for us Um, which particularly when you think if you quite if if you're honest about risks we've taken in the transfer market when we we have overspent on Benteke, and then we ha- underspent when we really needed to, and the, the sort of weird loans we've had with Adebayor and Sonogo and Bamford. Like, despite <laughs> all those things, yeah. we've managed to keep our head above water, and we're just, you know, we're really well set up for the future.
1: Yeah, agreed. And actually, I and mean, you're saying about things going our way. I mean, in in this game, so many things went our way that I think actually, if you're neutral, you would think, well, this is obviously Palace's day. I mean, we'll come on to the Lee, Alan Lee's goal in a minute. You had. Calvin Andrew kicking the keeper in the face and not getting sent off, which any other day is a red card. Imagine that today. That'd be a straight red. There were so many. Watching that game back, as Richard did the other day when Palace put it on their YouTube channel, there's so many elbows flying in. Two or three Wednesday players come off with bloodied heads that, again, today, with VAR, almost certainly Palace would be two or three players down. You had Leon Clark kicking the boarding after their goal. And breaking his toe, their best player mm. <laughs> coming off. So much went for us that actually, you look back now and you think, "Oh yeah, of course it was going to be our day." Um, that Calvin Andrew thing, Richard, did that come before or after the Lee's goal? I can't quite remember. All these moments are mashed up for me. I think it was, it was before, before. Yeah, it
2: was because uh, Lee's goal was sort of midway, wasn't it, through the first half and that it was and, about so, yeah, 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 twelve or thirteen minutes. Which would have been 13 minutes would have been appropriate, wouldn't it? But but as you say, generally, nine times out of ten, you get sent off for that. Because he didn't just put his foot up. He actually almost took Grant's head off. And I think the very interesting thing when you watch it and also reading the Athletic article is Sean Derry's role in that. Because he went straight to Mike Dean. And it's mentioned how he he used to do this a lot. And he was talking him through it, just saying, oh, he's just trying to get the ball. And Derry is that sort of character where he is in the ref's face, but because he's the captain, he's got sort of permission to do that. And I think it's a little bit of what we lack actually nowadays is we don't have that sort of person to go in and talk to the ref. And, you know, maybe Yednak was slightly that, but, you know, Luca doesn't do that sort of stuff. And uh, and you, you need someone almost like your player's spokesperson to be talking to the ref and saying yeah okay it was a little bit high but you know let's get on with it and uh, also I'd forgotten it was bloody Mike Dean as referee (laughs) who you know (laughs) normally you'd think "Hmm." some non-entity and was Mike Dean was there but I think yeah the Andrew potential red card would have been a massive moment because I think if he'd have gone we'd have gone so thank goodness for that and you know it it became i I can't again i can't quite remember that incident when i was watching it 10 years ago but it just looks so blatant on that replay and then and you know what they're like on telly because i was watching on telly you You see the replay and it gets worse and you go, oh, oh, love, you know, just accept it. He's off. And then, you know, through Derry's great uh, diplomacy, he he managed to stay
1: on. We're going to hear from Sean Derry in a bit when he joined us on Pod 300. Uh, And I was listening back to it this morning, actually clipping it up. He's such a good guest. He says so much. I really would recommend people go and listen to it if you haven't. He's so, so good. And you get that impression, Jesse, actually, of what a good talker he is just from the hour we spent with him at Soho Radio. And and Richard's right. The role that Derry played, and probably in numerous other decisions that we've probably even forgotten about down the years, of a proper captain, negotiating your Hmm. way. It's like a politician, isn't it? Or sort of a barrister or something, negotiating your way through that to get the, the desired result. I think we it's only looking back now that you appreciate characters like Derry and your Paddies and Johnny Ertles, Alan Lee, who we'll come on to in a minute, scored the first goal. Those characters actually make a team and they made that team, didn't they?
3: I couldn't agree, agree more around a captain behaving like that because I, I don't think even Jednak was that good. at that. Jednak was great at everything else you'd expect in terms of a leader of men and um, taking control on the pitch, but I don't think he was particularly good at um, confronting referees. And I don't think he protected Wilf when he needed it. It was Damo doing it, right? Yeah. So, uh well, we have sorely missed sorely missed that kind of um, sort of quality in a captain. But he just Derry's had such an amazing. I, mean, I agree with you on the podcast too that he did with us. That was fascinating listening, and I could have listened to it twice the length. Um, imagine but he played for us in the. 2003 2004 final the millennium stadium yeah it started the game because julian gray got sent yeah,
1: off left yeah, mid
3: yeah really odd then went to leeds and came back and then found himself in this situation so he's probably better placed than anyone to kind of really understand the ups and downs of being at it's literally one huge up and one huge down there the <laughs> sort of pivotal games he's been in for us um but yeah it's um I think I think it's it's just amazing to, to see those characters, and even add Ambrose to that, and then you've got the the weird misfits like Mundi as well. It's just a, just sort of, what a motley crew! Did we lose Moses that season? Yeah, yeah, he went when
2: uh, we went into administration. It was the first move, yeah.
1: and Jose out. Fonte as well. And
3: Fonte, yeah. What what an incredible roller coaster!
1: Very much so. Um, let, let, let's come on to the first goal because obviously uh, Alan Lee heads us into the lead with an absolute I mean bullet the definition of a bullet header from an Ambrose corner and he's he's interviewed in this piece and he said I connected really well it was one of those where you just know no one is stopping it and then when you get that feeling when you go bananas I remember Darren Ambrose goes on about how I bundled him away a bit harshly for the celebration because I didn't know what I was doing in that moment I could have lifted a car nothing will be as good as the feeling when I scored that goal yeah, Richard, Alan is one of those weird players, isn't he? Where I don't particularly have massively fond memories of him, but that goal was massive and it was such a classic centre-forwards header. It was beautiful. What what a bullet header.
2: Yeah, it was great, actually. It was, the irony was, you were talking about you know Sheffield Wednesday players going off and getting bandaged. That player, O'Connor, who I think Derry took out, was actually taken off just before the corner was taken. Yeah. And they complained. They said, well, how, how is Well, because he had blood coming out of his head. You know, it's a rule. You have to go off. But he was off. And then we scored immediately from the corner from that. It was a beautiful... When you watch the way Ambrose struck that ball, by the way, when you see it from the the angle, he hit it so beautifully. You know, when they kick it and you can hear it, you go, that's a peach of a cross. Yeah. And as you write, Alan Lee, not the greatest player ever. But he absolutely nailed that header. Yeah. No one was going to stop that. And uh, I did love the celebration, because he literally barges Ambrose out of the way. And he's just thinking, hang on, we just
3: <laughs> set up that goal for
2: you and you're going out the way, it's all about me. And uh, do you know what struck me when I watched it again? You know who Alan Lee reminds me of? Not nearly as good a player, but the irony is the way he sort of stoop shoulders shuffle, try Chris Waddle. Look at it again. He does move like Chris Waddle. And obviously, Chris Waddle did play for Sheffield Wednesday. As I say, Waddle, slightly better player to go on to Marseille to win the Champions League, whatever it might be. Alan Lee, that's his greatest moment.
1: I can't remember many others. Alan Lee will love you for saying that if he ever hears that, compared to Chris Waddle. Yeah. Um, I know it was a couple of years later, wasn't it, when he elbowed Jednak in the face. Was that a couple of seasons later and sort of tarnished his reputation? That, a was the
3: bit. Year, that was the year we went up at Huddersfield away yeah
2: oh uh, yeah that's right wasn't it in the tunnel he did was a
3: game, no, it was, on the conc- it was yeah. actually on the pitch was it okay that's when jedi had to start wearing that mask for a little while afterwards oh uh, yeah
1: that's right did that tarnish his reputation for you jesse
3: yeah i was at that game i drove there on my own because i just got a new car and I you went
1: were to- in your yeah. mini then
3: jesse <laughs> no I, I, I upgraded um so I just got a new car and wanted to test it out, so I drove it to Huddersfield. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was awful that game. We played terrible um, and I, I remember that, and Holloway was the most irate I think he's ever been after that game because there was no inkling of an apology, I think from Alan Lee yeah, um, and it just felt weird that he would do that he would not you know care about his his legacy in, in Palace Mines. It just felt very odd the whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah, but odd memory that one. But I remember that watching the um, what was great about what, me watching the game last week was you learn a few tip, a Came few tidbits or a few memories from the commentary. And after Alan Lee scored, he said that's his first goal in nineteen games. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds yeah. about right. Not exactly prolific, was he? <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Where well, of course Ambrose, we'll come on to in a minute, scored his twentieth goal of the season to uh, pretty much seal it first. Obviously, in between that, there's the Leon Clark goal, which my memory at the time was he definitely fouled Butterfield. And then there's a quote from Butterfield here saying, hindsight is a great thing, but if I was put in that same position, I'd do the exact same thing. He doesn't go to clear it. He sort of like takes a touch. Mm. If I knew it would lead to a goal, I'd have kicked it out of play. That was me as a player, my decision making. My decision at the time was to draw my foot back and kick the ball away. He kicked my foot and I ended up kicking my own leg. That's exactly my memory of it, Richard, as well. It's definitely a foul, wasn't it?
2: I think so. But as Mark Bright pointed out on commentary, don't muck about, just get rid of it. Just clear it. Because it was the 44th. I didn't realise how late it was. It was literally the last minute of that half. And... If he'd have cleared it into the stands, then maybe, you know, Clark wouldn't have had the chance to equalise, but then break his toe by kicking an advertising hoarding, which amongst the most idiotic things I've ever come across in, you know, a long time of watching football. And good on you, Leon Clark, because as you say, he was probably their best player and the biggest threat. And, you know, they didn't look the same afterwards because um, they did, you know, the game as it transpired in that first half, we were in, under a fair bit of pressure um, and, you know, the defence was great. You know, McCarthy every time getting his you know, head in the way. Clint Hill, you know, all these people who are not, you know, exactly brilliant footballers. But you could just tell how much it meant to them. They were not going to let this slip. You know, And Jules was quite calm in goal. And the Leon Clark thing still, it just makes me chuckle. Because he's, especially when he's lying on the turf and sort of going, ow, and you say, "Mm, how did this come about, Leon? It's because of your idiocy. And, you know, he's showing his foot and it's bleeding and say, yeah, that's down to you, buddy. No one
1: else. Yeah, there's some good quotes in it from Darren Purse, who was playing for Wednesday, saying all the players look at him going, what? Why is he on the floor? What's happened? And there's a really nice photo in the article of the second he's kicking the advertising hoarding. And you can see some fans in the background. And one fan's Wednesday fan, has got a look on his face like, what is this guy doing? You can see him thinking, what is this guy doing? It was weird, Jesse, but it's almost like we had to let him go through the scoring the goal, fouling Butterfield, to let him have this moment of madness, which in a way actually almost contributed to, to us getting the result.
3: It was a great finish, wasn't it? A really good finish. Um, I I was a bit critical of Butterfield because I obviously knew the mistake was coming. So I was watching out for it and it felt like it was going to happen about three or four times (laughs) because I don't know know if he was targeted on the day or if it it was just highlighted by the fact that you knew it it was about to happen in that area of the pitch. But he just looked a little bit under pressure and sort of swinging his leg and panicking at anything that came his way. Um, but yeah, I remember, I remember it. I remember it. I don't remember the Calvin Andrew incident on the day. I don't remember Mike Dean referee, but I do remember the, um, the broken toe incident. Cause he's obviously scored in front of where we were sat in the stand and then yeah. sort of ran to the other side of the pitch. And I remember him kicking I do remember him kicking it. But another oddity is why was his foot bleeding? like, there's nothing sharp, uh, ab- <laughs> yeah. about, like, I've never his heard of that. His toenail.
1: Bro- and he sort of jabbed his toenail into himself or something. <laughs>
3: It was like, but there was blood on the underneath of his foot. Yeah, that's right. What a bizarre injury.
1: <laughs> Again, very sort of, pal- well, I say very palace. so we're Wednesday fans talking about it this week, saying it's very Wednesday. Um, that was a good finish. Obviously, the goal that put us 2 on up, Richard, was a superb finish from a player who was just brilliant for us that season. Free transfer as well. Darren Ambrose rolling in. And I've got two nice quotes here. One from Ambrose, he says, it was one of those perfect goals. Scans, scan or set it up, did everything right. I arrived late in the box and connected perfectly. It was probably, if I'm being cynical, gutting that it wasn't the winning goal, but it kept us up. So it's fantastic. And then Paul Hart, who was this kind of figure of calm, wasn't he? We've heard about his calm team talk, and he was just this constant figure on the touchline. Said, uh, Hart's reaction was probably the calmest of all. I didn't go up and down on the pitch. I had a good suit on. So I was never going to do a Jose Mourinho. <laughs> It was a case of, that's great, now let's get the job done. I mean, Richard, I can't imagine watching it at the time that you were as calm as Paul Hart.
2: No, I mean, if you ever wanted someone for that chance to fall to, it would be Darren Ambrose. And the fact, when you watch it, he doesn't try to smash it. Mm. He just steers it into the goal. He makes sure that his connection is pure. And he just steers it in. Because so many other players would try to smash it and guess where it would have it ended up with you boys in the top <laughs> tier of the lepping Lane. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he is, you know, 20 goals from midfield
4: yeah.
2: in that season. That is remarkable. And, you know, and some of those goals were quite good. weren't they? I mean, that was a, it was a good goal, but it wasn't a brilliant goal, but we all remember some of Darren's goals, you know, obviously the one at Old Trafford and the league cup and a few other bangers. But, um, that is clearly his most important goal he scored. And you know, I love the fact that he's been to lots of clubs, but when he s- speaks about it, you know that's the one that really sticks with him. Of all the goals he's scored, of all the clubs he's been with, that's the one. And also, again, I think with all these players, and even with Paul Hart, who's only in charge from March to May, and also, by the way, someone further away from Jose Mourinho, I can't really think of. <laughs> but he was in charge for just a couple of months maybe 10 games 10 Mm -hmm. crucial games and then he knew at the end of the final whistle that was it but he he was just in charge and the the other thing I loved you know as a bit of a stat a bit of a nugget man is which I've forgotten about is that Paul Hart obviously played for Sheffield Wednesday but Alan Irvin was the manager of Sheffield Wednesday and who did he play for before? So I love those little links. I love that sort of connection. <clears> and it's it's lovely to see, you know, when the final whistle actually went, Paul Hart and Alan Irvine actually had a bit of a hug. And you know, yeah. he's a football man, he didn't just go off and celebrate. Um uh but yeah, the, the Ambrose goal, I think that was the moment we all really believed that we were gonna do it. Um, because it was game relatively early it was about 60 odd minutes in. 68 so still,
1: minutes i think is it was,
2: 68 yeah. so it's 22 minutes is a long time and as we know yeah. they did uh, get an equaliser but yeah darren ambrose for me will always be in my top palace players for that season and a few other things but that goal is for me in my top 10 palace goals
1: what well, i was about to say to you jesse Bearing in mind everything we've talked about on this podcast and the importance of this game. Is that Palace's most important goal ever?
3: It just felt like Ambrose knew that he had to take his chances that day and take any he had to be sure when it, whenever he got his chance. And I think what I what occurred to me not long ago was so many important or great Ambrose goals have height on them. He always knows, you know, I think everyone knows, it's safe to say Ambrose knows where the top corner is. and he knows, you know, you don't, I mean, I'm sure he did put a few over the bar in his time, but he he seemed to sort of go for the corners, the top corners, or at least have some height on his goals. This one was a a kind of daisy cutter, and I just felt like he he just had to be sure. When that chance came along, he had to make sure it went in the goal. And like you say, Richard, there was no real venom on it it was it you sort of bent it a little bit round. the keeper reacted late and he hit it first time uh and a little nod to scanner as well just for looking up and just putting putting it back into his path it just felt like on the, the the composure was there when it really needed to be um and you, you know to answer your question jim look what it's led to um i mean thank god for that because you know (coughs) i hope we're gonna come back come to stern john at some point in in this podcast oh yeah (coughs) i'll stop i'll stop there i'll stop there
1: (laughs) uh i was gonna come on to the stern john miss next because watching that game back again i can't quite remember the stern john miss happening at the time but watching it back richard i hadn't appreciated how close it was to going in. I thought it was that he'd shot and it hit the post and gone wide or something. It rolled across the goal line because Grant gets a hand on it and sort of like slows it down, hits the goal line. I think it's Darren Purse comes in, tries to clear it, almost like kicks his own goalkeeper. It, it, it's a bobble. And Ambrose has stood there, having not really followed up, thinking it was probably going to go in. And if he took one step earlier, probably could have smashed it into the net for 3-1, uh, would that have been? Or 3-2? Mm. Three, three, and finished two. it. Bizarre couple of minutes. And that was Stern John's last kick for Crystal Palace. I mean, what a way to go out.
2: Was it really? Come on. Yeah, no, I, I really developed a big hatred of Stern John after <laughs> that moment. I mean, very unfair, because obviously he did score a few goals for us, and, and, and I think Watford away was one of the most important...
1: Derby, he got the equaliser away at Derby. Uh, yeah, yeah. It but
2: um, it just... Uh, that is one incident I do remember from the game because I just thought, what are you doing? Please. You are two on one with the keeper. What are you doing? You've got the best striker. He's just scored a brilliant goal. Just square it to him. It's all over. It's all over. But as you say, I had that, uh, I imagined it was just a pretty poor shot, but actually Grant, did tip it onto the post, and it just trickled along the line. And as you say, Purse was going, "Oh, well, I better clear this." But did you notice he actually cleared it back to the keeper, who picked it up? So yeah. Mike Dean, that was a free kick because that was a back <laughs> pass. That was a back pass. So that should have been a free kick. But then you know, because I think it was, it was probably in the ninetieth minute, was it, or very, yeah, very late. Yeah, yeah. Because they'd all sent them, and Grant, I think, had been up for a corner. So that's why they only had one player back, just about. And you just can't imagine two against one in this game, and he doesn't square it. And it's just, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? And as I say, I've never been able to forgive him, but maybe I should now, 10 years on. Because we did get (laughs) our survival.
1: I think it was even later. I think it was like 94th minute. I think it was was really, really late. And actually, Jesse, there's there's a quote from Ambrose here, which leads me on to my final point, sort of post-match, which is really interesting because, again, these quotes are great because you get the insight from the player as opposed to what we were as fans. He says, I was disappointed he didn't square it. Not so much because I didn't score, but because at the end of the game, we couldn't really celebrate with our fans. If I had scored that, a lot of home fans would have left and we'd have been able to stay behind and celebrate. And I've completely forgotten that. Yeah, if that goes in, it's game over, everyone leaves. And of course, we know what happens at the end. So actually, that decision by Stern John almost robbed a lot of the players and the fans from having that moment.
3: I mean, what, I mean, that's, that's just quite remarkable to hear Ambrose talk about it like that. Um, I'd like to hear, I'd need to hear Stern John's side of the story. <laughs> I feel like if there's, if part of it will be apologetic, I would hope. Oh, I, but I do remember that on the day. I remember that very clearly. And something else I should mention is my housemate at the time I was living with one of my friends that I've met travelling. Was a Sheffield Wednesday fan, and he wasn't at the game. But I remember coming back to London. We went to the pub, and he—he uh, he, I think he'd sort of, he sort of—he was one of those people that was expecting it to happen anyway. So he was—he was fine about it. But it was just like it just had everything and more, except maybe. It, maybe it, no, it didn't have everything. If Mike Dean had got his red card out, which he is not shy about usually. Maybe it would have been a bit everything. But yeah, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of we didn't really get a chance to celebrate with the players properly. And now I feel like we were robbed.
1: Uh, And I think about it that way. Yeah, because we, I mean, obviously then final whistle goes and there's the, some Palace fans get on the pitch, Richard, then loads of Wednesday fans and the Wednesday fans sort of goading the away end, even though they've got relegated. It was very weird. And Palace fans have got the moral high ground, but they're still sort of stuck in there. And then some of the players are still there. Ambrose is doing a post-match interview and then has to cut it short and run down the tunnel. Sean Scannell says, <laughs> it was just stood there, says, I didn't care. I wasn't scared of any of that. I knew nobody would touch me. He <laughs> just stood there. Some of the players are running off. Then Clint Hill is sort of windmilling through the players, trying to through the fans, trying to get through. He gets a few punches on him. It's just madness, wasn't it? What a mad way to end a game.
2: I know. Well, to say, I was watching it on television, I, I, and I've seen... Uh, scenes like that before I remember going to Man City once and we uh, years and years ago we beat them and I'm not sure how I think they had a keeper sent off and they they were really angry I mean really angry and this was at Main Road and I remember my brother and I spoke to a copper and said um, because we were being held in and he said when do you think we'll be allowed out he said well maybe someday this is on a Saturday (laughs) because he said I wouldn't go out there because it's just madness and that, you know, we actually walked, I remember walking across the pitch to get out another way because it just was really hairy. And it, it, you just watch that scene when obviously Palace fans are going on in joy. Shiffer Wednesday fans, that wasn't joy. That oh. uh, You knew exactly what was in their minds they wanted to punch up. Yeah. And, you know, as you say, they managed to have a little go at um, Clint Hill, Was not the best person. I'd love to have a go at Claude Davis, because he came, <laughs> remember not yeah. Try giving him a bit of a punch and see how you get on, boys. But the, I think the lovely thing about Sean is he's, he's, he's not a big boy. You know, he's, he's quite a slight character. He's just going, that's fine. I'm, I? <laughs> I'm not worried. I'm just going to mosey on down, looking like a Sunday afternoon walk. And... Um, you know, that in a way gave us, I've, I've never had any enmity with Sheffield Wednesday. I don't know if there is anything there, but, you know, I didn't, you obviously don't like to see that because that's just like old school. And just, as you said, you know, there's a history with the Leppings Lane end and it just horrible reminders of, you know, that, Terrible time in you know English football and hooliganism, and obviously hooliganism was nothing to do with what happened at Hillsborough at the Liverpool game. But you know, there's just that horrible feeling of oh that that happened there, and that's the same end. And I just thought it did slightly take the shine off it at the time because you know, as you say, the players couldn't celebrate with the fans uh, and. You know the celebrations in the dressing room were quite funny uh you know the spraying of the champagne and ambrose is, is an eagle was a, a, a lovely uh, charm but it did just take a wee bit off it for me
1: yeah jesse what was your uh experience like after the game because we got we were there for ages as i said before and then we got a bus into the center of town buses packed with palace fans we go past some Wednesday fans and some of them start throwing stuff at the bus and everyone's like goading them from the bus, as you'd expect. We get into town, we walk into a bar and it's filled with Sheffield United fans. So we get welcomed in the bar like absolute kings. People are buying us drinks. It's like being rock stars. And, then, and we actually then stayed up there that night and went back the next day. And we were very tired. I said this on the main pod. It's a very draining experience. So actually we didn't stay out that late because you're just so tired emotionally from the day. What was your experience like after the game? Did you, did, did you see any scuffles or anything? Or were you back in your mini and back home?
3: Pretty, pretty much. Um, I think I, I I relate to what you just said, though. Um, after the game, they had that sort of delirium. It was a bit of shell shock, wasn't it? Like, yeah. what just happened? I think you said that I completely relate to that. That's, that was my overriding memory. And the streets were quiet. And we were aware we were walking past Wednesday fans. Um, but we had no colours on. We just kept our heads down, um, made it back to the Mini, was parked in some industrial estate over the the dual carriageway, got stuck in some traffic and just, as I say, went straight back to London and went to the the local, back in London to kind of celebrate. It was just, yeah, it was just a a sort of feeling of job done and uh, don't want to go through that again and had to call Ed in Brighton and let him know what he'd missed while he was at the wedding. So, um, yeah, pretty uneventful for me. It sounded like you had a little bit more of a C-3PO
1: moment. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and even on the way home, there was more drama because obviously uh, Sean, Danny Butterfield... And one more. Paddy, Paddy McCarthy, got, got yeah. mobbed in the service station, which, which we'll hear actually from uh, both of them, I think, later on in this podcast from their clips, which again is sort of very palace. I want to end this part before we go into the clips, though, Richard, but just a quote from Paul Hart, because again, you're absolutely right. He was like the kind of, um, you ever seen the movie Shane, the Western movie Shane, he's a cowboy and he rides into town saves the day and rides off into the sunset. And it's that classic cowboy narrative that you can never hang around in the town. You always come in, save the day, and you ride off into sunset. You can never stay. And that's exactly what Paul Hart did. He was our shame. He rode into town for 10 games, saved the day. And I don't, we don't really talk about him very much, but he's such a pivotal person in the history of this club. So, so important as to where we are now. And there's a really nice quote here because he famously, and again, some of, uh, Paddy and Sean, I think, mentioned this, that He'd been saying to the players, as soon as that final whistle is over, I'm gone. Like, you know, I'm going on holiday and I'm gone. You'll never see me again. I'm not staying next season. And again, I didn't realise we never got to say goodbye to Paul Hart or say thank you. And there's a quote here where he says, this is after the game, I got over the halfway line and was heading towards our supporters because I wanted to see them. It's a huge regret that I didn't get there. I would have carried on. I tried to go and say thank you, but it looked like there was gonna be a right- I was going to get a right-hander. People got me off the pitch. They were more perceptive than I was on the day but I never got a chance to say thank you and actually Richard we never got a chance to say thank you either
2: yeah as I say I think it's totally underappreciated in a way that um, you know we, of course you concentrate on the players generally you concentrate on the Ambrose the Lees, the McCarthys but he just did a fantastic job and he he kept us up and you know you, you remember some of the, um, he, he, he just came across as someone who got Palace in that very short time. And we've said this before, that you get Palace. And and I remember his quote saying, of all the teams that he's been involved with as a manager, because so obviously he managed quite a few teams, the Palace one was the one he remembers clearest. And with most fondness, he's only in charge of 10 games. But... <laughs> you know, puts him where he is in Palace history. And, you know, we talk about this renaissance. And I I also think, talking about that 2010 pivotal moment, is I think the fans really, once you've looked over the precipice and you can see the abyss, as in we could have been liquidated, gone forever, your support becomes stronger because you can see what you could have lost and that's when I think, you know, as you say, the wholesale fanatic. But I think that's where Palace fans really began to say, right, we love this club. We've forgotten how much we love this club and we're going to support them. And in a way, you know, we went on that upward climb to where we are now because of that spirit. And the spirit that was embodied in all the players, every single one of those players dug in deep throughout that season. I mean, how terrible is it when, you know, you just get 10 points taken off you? Bang. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen to many clubs. I can't think of many clubs that have survived being deducted 10 points. In fact, my research this afternoon will be to go into the record books and find (laughs) out which teams have had points deducted and still stayed
1: up. I look forward to hearing that. Um, Yeah, Jesse, I think it's funny. I'd never heard of Paul Hart before he was appointed that year. And I've not heard much from him since. And yet, when you hear from the players talking about him and this article and the way he conducted himself, he was the perfect man for those two months.
3: Yeah, I think there's there's echoes of, in a different sense, obviously, when Ranieri went into Leicester, he didn't mess about too much with what Nigel Pearson had managed to get working at the back end of their previous season. You know, Vardy turned into a Premier Premier League striker, for example, and Mahrez, um was good to go at that point. But Ranieri, using all his experience, just only did what was necessary and just let it tick over. And then the rest is history for them. It felt like on a micro level, Hart kind of came in and did something similar for us. He didn't... He didn't if, imagine if it was Pardew, not Hart. What would have happened? <laughs> like, he would want to want to make his mark. He'd want to, like... Um, Put some, put someone's nose out of joint. Change the captain, and, and you know who knows what. But Paul Hart just only did what was necessary, and just he probably obviously saw what was in place. Same goes for Holloway. When Holloway came in, he, he we were top, near enough top of the league. Didn't mess too much with the good work that Dougie Friedman had done. And I think he pretty much said as much in his first game at halftime on the pitch. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, he's just sort of uh, some sort of. Iconic figure now, Paul Hart. You'd like to think, uh, if if the world was operating as normal right now, and the ten-year anniversary has just happened, that Paul Hart would have been a guest of honour at the at the most yeah. recent home game. You could have imagined that would that would be the case. And I think I think I, I can't recall him ever being back or being celebrated in the way that he should.
1: No, me neither. Which is a shame, but I'm sure loads of people listening will feel the same love for Paul Hart as we do. And we're here in a minute. Some of the players' love for him as well but I just need to remind you if you can visit (laughs) we've talked at length about that article but it's a really really good one in depth and if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP you can start a 7 day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription after the break then we're going to hear from Sean Derry on our 300th podcast talking about Survival Sunday
4: stand up baby let me see where you coming from stand up baby let me see hey hit me good God.
3: Toda buena fiesta comienza con un buen outfit. Y tu próxima cita es con JCPenney, en donde encuentras de todo para cualquier ocasión. Ya sea elegante o casual, tenemos puro estilo para ti. Desde vestidos, trajes, colores y estampados. De marcas como Liz Claiborne, Worthington, Stafford y Jay Ferrar. ¡Ay, ah, no olvidemos Thereabouts para los chiquitos! Descubre lo último en la tienda o en JCP.com. Estilo de pieza a cabeza para donde sea que vayas. JCPenney.
1: And then we then we come to Hillsborough, yeah. you know, which is another, another big game. And that season though,
5: you played every minute of that season, didn't you? Every game. Yeah, I mean that season was just. So the heel was presumably better by then. The,
6: yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the the heel was, you know, that I'd, I'd gone past that moment, but we. I think at one point we had some. I mean, after that infamous flight up to Newcastle, yeah. you know, we we ended up about two weeks later with about thirteen senior pros, you know, because one or two had left and. Victor had left at that moment, and we had to rely on younger players through the academy mm. to just make the bench. Um, and I did. I ended up playing all all the minutes, every single game. And listen, did I play well in every minute? Absolutely not.
5: But, but you were injured, though. You, have, you had a bad shoulder. Yeah, I
6: had, I had dislocated my shoulder, and um, you know, Paddy had Paddy had done the same, and um, he he was struggling with his shoulder. I was struggling with mine, and we ended up having these operations, um, which. You know, which settled them in the end. But when you're in administration, and we had characters like we did, it was just we galvanised yeah. and it was like it was it was such a tight group, yeah. and we 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 had to do the job, didn't we? You know, you, well, you, got you, to do
7: the you job. really got that being a fan as well. I mean, the fans, we all everybody yeah. got behind the club. I, th- I, I think
5: didn't... we we talked on the pod like seasons afterwards. We almost missed that six months because I don't think there's ever been a closer bond between a set of fans. And a set of players. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about you earlier, individually having a bond with, but that whole team yeah. and the the fans just we felt like the same people, really.
6: Absolutely and rightly so. You know, yeah. everybody made such a massive mark on the end of that season. You know, the fans were right behind us, and yeah, you get disgruntled fans and supporters and players and relationships. You know, are uh, not all positive, are they? But I don't think from entering administration to coming out on that final kick of the ball at Hillsborough, yeah. I, I can't recollect ever seeing a fan get on any of the players' backs. Hmm. Because I think everybody appreciated that we were all in it together. Yeah. Did you know Paul Hart from Nottingham days? Or No, I didn't know. I mean, Paul arrived, obviously, oh, that, that was bizarre in itself, yeah. the switch of managers. Yeah. And Paul came in, and I, and I remember he took me into his um, manager's room, and he just said, "Listen, I'm going to be leaving on the, the after the final game at Sheffield, you know, uh, Sheffield Wednesday." You said that was straight away. Yeah, first <laughs> thing he said to me, he "said I'm here only until Sheffield Wednesday. I've been given a job yeah. to do.
8: Yeah.
6: I've got to do it," he said, and we need the likes of myself and one or two others to help him because he didn't know the group. Uh-huh. Uh, but but again, you know, Paul Paul was just brilliant for the group. He, he, he was just such a calming influence. Right. Yeah. And, you know, his team talk before Hillsborough...
1: I've heard about this, yeah. ...was
6: just fantastic. I mean, he'd come in looking like Dr. Doodle. <laughs> he had this checkered suit on, and we cracked up laughing. He had this old, like, kind of medicine um, briefcase. You know, like, you see... Yeah. Like, on am Downton Abbey. Yeah, I right call yeah. the, the midwife. <laughs> yeah. And the gaffers arrived, and we're like, what's going on here? And he went... If I can remind you lads, I have told you I'm going to be here only until the last kick of this game, and he just said, "But this is the biggest game. We're here now. Yeah. We're here. We got ourselves here. Fair credit to everybody who sat in the room. And you know, he's, he, he was such a mild mannered guy.
1: But was that the right character that you needed I mean, then, as a group yeah. of players? Yeah, I think I we know. did
6: because we we, we were crazy.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah but we you
6: were. were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were. You know, we you were all mad for it, we, weren't you? We, you we, were. we, we were just. We was in it. We was in the moment, you know, yeah. we had we had these we we had this kind of like um we used to have this sing song before the game, every single um game we'd put, you know, the 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 speakers on. And even when we come out, I don't know someone might have said this, but when we played up at Newcastle we ended up losing 2-0, I scored one of the most ridiculous own goals <laughs> you'll ever see. But prior to that, up at St James's Park, it's the old fashioned dressing rooms with like pylons at the top, you know, these pipes. And I remember Johnny Earl lying on these pipes <laughs> at quarter three, singing, tonight's going to be a good night. And <laughs> Newcastle players looking in thinking, what the hell's going on there? Who are these guys who are playing here? <laughs> and I think my song was, our walk 500 miles. And, yeah. You know, we had some crazy songs that, and, and, and Paul Art just used to laugh at us. He used, to, he used to say, I've never met anyone like you lot.
7: What was the mood in the dressing room when you were at Hillsborough just before walking out? You know, that... I mean, I know you had the talk and everything, but yeah. the mood as you players was it like, we are going to do this? Were you just... oh, was it like the the worry and the panic that if you don't, then that's it. You, you might be out of a job. Oh, I, mean, I mean... I mean, I don't know if you could The club could have gone on. The club could have gone yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what yeah. I mean. You yeah. wouldn't have been out of a job. Yeah. We
6: was... We, I, I was rooming with Danny Butterfield and we got a knock on the door in our in our hotel which listen footballers generally stay in nice hotels before games this wasn't a nice hotel <laughs> it wasn't you know it was kind of on the I think it was on the edge of Barnsley <laughs> we travelled into Sheffield yeah. I mean those who come up on the train with us I mean mm-hmm. the, the, it, the fans will remember we didn't even have like a specified carriage yeah. where, where normally you do as a yeah, players. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember I lad sitting on Gatorade tubs in you know because it was so busy, yeah, and um so we knew obviously we knew things we'd knew you know we knew things weren't right, but we knew as well, James, that it was a pivotal game, yeah, you knew that yeah. you know it was a monumental game
7: it, it it was a game that could define you, well, it was, and we got told you all as individuals that. as much as the team,
6: well, Dougie was one of the coaches, wasn't he, mm. Dougie Friedman, yeah. obviously coach alongside. Alongside Paul, and he came and knocked on our door, and he, he said, "Listen, I, I need to speak to you. You know, I need to need to speak to you and and butts, and you know, we saw it wasn't just us. There was five or six other lads waiting in this um, kind of courtyard, and he just took us for a little walk. He said, "Look, you know that it's it could go today. The club could go, basically, so." No, no pressure, lads. <laughs> no, no, but but it was good from Doug because I think if he didn't trust us, he wouldn't have told us. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Dougie said, "Look, we trust you, and you've got to lead this afternoon. And there's only five or six of you who could really lead, and you'll have followers." And it was a great talk. You know, we we was only out there six or seven minutes, but it was. I, I remember the talk being pretty intense. But I was all right with intent. that was fine.
1: but is it difficult when you, when there 's so much riding on a game to go out there and just play your game, or is it always on your mind even when you cross the white line?
6: <clears throat> well, you need a strategy, don't you you know you need a game plan, you need a strategy, you need, you, you need players to do their jobs, and we were organized you know Paul had worked on us, and we'd worked on each other, and we knew that we had a game changer in Darren Ambrose yeah. you know we had a little bit of luck on the day with Leon Clark his ridiculous celebrations that took him yeah. off the table. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. When he kicked the advertisement. Yeah, board. yeah. So that was a stroke of luck and a little bit of fortune that we needed. Although I
1: thought that was a foul on Butterfield. <laughs>
6: oh, don't <laughs> tell him that. I'd said that he should have <laughs> gotten the weights and you know, handled the situation a little bit better. <laughs> but um, I, w- I wouldn't say it, f- it all felt a plan because we had some... We was on the back foot for large parts of the game as well, but we all done our jobs. And I remember... We had, you know, me and Johnny in the middle of the field and they had Darren Potter and, um, oh, who's the boy who used to play at Stoke as well, James O'Connor. They were the two midfielders on the day and they were tough. You know, Potts could put it about and James definitely could. And I remember saying to Johnny Hurtle before the game, I said, Johnny, we need to do these two. (laughs) And he went, what do you mean? I said, because these two are like their catalyst. And we've got to make sure that we affect them physically. Otherwise, if we don't, we're going to have been for a real tough afternoon. And I, and I, and I remember going up and uh, kind of elbowing them both in the first 25 minutes, yeah. catching them, and they both come out like, at certain parts of the game looking like Terry Butcher. And I looked at Johnny and went, give him a little nod. And we just, we just knew that we had yeah. them. Yeah. Like, John, Johnny was mental in his own right, he really yeah. was. Yeah. He'd shout like the most bizarre things on a pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like mean, what? You can't swear on it, can't? You? <laughs> Obviously, we can believe it. But, but we had, we had, we had like our fitness coach at the time was Chris Short, and Shorty is, was, and will continue to be the best fitness coach. And one of his, um, one of his kind of war cries every morning was, he'd jump into the gym and he'd go, "Come on, you f***ers, let's go to war," <laughs> and it was like. <laughs> And it was like it was so funny at the same time. And on the pitch, that's what Johnny was shouting <laughs> at, at Hillsborough. And it, was he? We were Brilliant. laughing. We were laughing so hard. It was just a great. What, I mean, what, 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 what a day! And can you remember
5: your exact feeling as the final whistle went? Was it just relief, elation, job done, emotion? Wasn't it? Yeah. You know, if you, uh,
6: I think. I think I cried I think well, it was we all, tears we, all, yeah, we, yeah, all we all were crying we You know, yeah. we were yeah. crying not only had we recognised and it was and it was recognised that it was such a monumental game but you know I had a I had a two children at home yeah. my wife was at home you know they, they look at dad to go out and you know thankfully we had an option again to yeah. still be employed yeah and um,
1: again, the club had a football
6: club to support, yeah. you know, and it, 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 it had its why back. And, uh, and we very nearly lost it. We really did.
1: We've got a lot of questions from listeners around that, um, but I want to read this one out from Ebo. Hi, he man. says, I just want to thank Sean for a signed shirt from that Sheffield Wednesday game. He gave it to one of my mates who did his windows <laughs> <laughs> once he heard I was a, for- a fan. Thanks, Sean, for that victory and the momentum. Oh, okay. We didn't do the inside of the windows, mind. <laughs> Just on the outside, switch. I want my shirt back. <laughs> and on the way back, there was this infamous moment you touched on earlier in the uh, service station toilets. Yeah. And there's a video of you and yeah. Paddy, and I think yeah, Matt, butts yeah, coming out yeah, of the yeah, toilet, yeah. and everyone.
6: What yeah. well, it was, yeah. Well, I mean, again, because you didn't know what was the e- what was the end of ninety minutes at Hillsborough. We didn't know if we had a bus to take us back to uh. wheels, back to London. You know, you just didn't know what was happening. Anyway, um, Joe, my wife, she drove up and she um, she, she took um, a little golf up and was waiting in this um, car park outside Hillsborough. And thankfully, we'd won. So I texted her, I said, "Go and get the fosters in the back of the car <laughs> that you could drive us back." And by the time you're four deep in fosters, <laughs> he, the inevitable is is waiting yeah. for you. So we needed a loo break. <laughs> And we walked into this toilet with nobody watching us. And we walked out with about a thousand. Paletons, <laughs> with a rapturous round of applause and singing songs about us. And we was Brilliant. like, oh, what's kind of gone on here? You know, this is, this is mental. Yeah. But do you like those
1: moments? Do, do, do you find those moments when sort of fans are involved awkward or, or I guess the moment of the day, do you embrace it?
6: I think as well, I mean, at various moments, depending on where a player lives, you know, At certain moments, you'll find yourself not on the team bus. You'll find yourself at service stations because you're so hydrated after a game that you do need to go to the loo. And you'll always encounter either your fans or the opposition's fans or somebody else's fans. So, I mean, we've had had situations where it kicked off at, at service stations where other fans wanted to like go to war with young and you're like, really? this is this is bizarre as well. I'm just going, <laughs> I'm just going to the loo. Here, mate. You want to you want to sort us out, and it's like,
1: but yeah, they are they are pretty they are pretty bizarre moments, aren't they? They are. Yeah. So and obviously, my one of my overriding memories for that Sheffield Wednesday game is Clint Hill on the pitch afterwards, Brilliant. trying to celebrate with us lot down the end, and then the stewards come in and sort of block everyone off, and then there's Wednesday fans on the pitch They're trying well, to take man. him on, yeah. and he's not. Not not falling for it. He's taken them back on as well. What a madman. I think you came out maybe and sort of... Just after, yeah. Did something about yeah, that. I was thinking, where is he?
6: You know, we we had about nine players in the dressing room afterwards. <laughs> Half of them was out there, you know, either looking after Clint. I think I can remember... I'm sure Clint was being interviewed at one point and somebody threw a punch at him yeah. and Nick oh. Carl pushed him out of the way. You know, and... Uh, things like that was taking place and Clint arrived back in about 20 minutes later with just this pair of shorts. (laughs) Yeah and we was like uh, but he was angry He yeah. yeah. came in angry I think because really. the overriding thing is because if because they didn't win
7: they went they down went as down, well yeah, you know? yeah. so it yeah. wasn't just us saving the game by drawing the game yeah. saving the careers of everybody in the club yeah. they actually went down because yeah. I remember getting going down to the to Sheffield train station and loads of Sheffield United fans were all there yeah. they, hadn't, they hadn't even been to their own game they were all so happy that they bought so Scarves, offers, hats—they wow. were buying Crystal Palace merchandise. Really? They were so happy because we'd relegated Wednesday. <laughs> what was a, a an day.
5: angry Clint Hill like?
6: Well, we saw it every day in training. So <laughs> kind of... Clint, right? Clint, Clint, was the best, right? Clint, Clint's for me—just one of the best guys. Anyway, take away what he is as a footballer and now as a as a coach, but he found a way of winning everything, Clint. And if he needed to cheat, he'd cheat. <laughs> so when it comes to races, like you know, like when you have your sprints or whatever it was, because he knew he weren't the quickest, he'd start early, <laughs> and he would never touch the touch line at the top. And he used to wind me up and make you cheating. Yeah. He'd go, "Now nah, I'm winning." <laughs> and in his head, in Clint's head, yeah. he would do anything to win. Even if it meant cheat. Yeah. And I loved that about him. Yeah, I did. Brilliant. He used
1: to wind me up every day, but he used yeah. to win
6: every... In his head, he used to win every day. But that team oh, at I the lead. time,
1: they, they needed people who would yeah. win at any yeah. cost. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
6: I mean, Clint Clint, Clint used to go and... and I know you can't do it now. I get, well, you can. I suppose you can. <laughs> but if there was a real tough opponent, rather than head the ball, he'd go and head the back of his head. Just to let him know. Just let him know he's there, mate. You're in a game this afternoon. Yeah. He'd find a way of affecting his opponent because he was a five foot eleven, bordering on six foot centre half, four inches shorter than yeah. your, your modern centre half, and he wasn't blessed with pace. But he found a way of getting through. He was just what? What a leader! Yeah. What a leader! What a you, w- and a good player
5: as well. You talked earlier about having five or six leaders. On the yeah. pitch in that team, most fo- football fans now would probably say they'd kill for one or two leaders oh, of the team, let alone five or six.
6: I, I just think that, I just think that's just um, a representation of modernism, mm. modern people, modern mod, the modern game. You know, modern society. You know, back in the day, we needed to sit and talk and look at each other in the eyes, didn't we? You know, mm. to have a conversation. You know, there was many times where if if a mobile phone got kind of taken out of a bag on a on a on a match day you know whether you're traveling on a bus or on a train we could put your phone away
4: yeah. Yeah.
6: what are you doing that's rude yeah so everybody was in it together talking yeah. now you've got to find out what i as a as a manager and as a coach now i've got to find a way of now communicating in this modern language mm. which is obviously through social media a yeah. lot of it yeah. and yeah. through mobile phones people are different now
1: But you need everyone, I guess, certainly on a match day, to be on that same page. Yeah. Be buying into it with no phones, whatever. Whatever you do, everyone's got to be with you.
6: Well, it's culture. It's now finding a culture that benefits everybody. Um, And every culture is going to be different, you know, and there's going to be rules and there's going to be stipulations that are at football clubs up and down you know, up and down the country that... But you've got to find a way. Yeah. You've got to find a way. Of it. And if it's no mobile phones in canteens or on the buses, then it's no mobile phones. You, they're the rules.
4: Stand up, baby! Yeah. Let me see where you coming from. Stand up, baby! Yeah. Let me see... Hey!
1: That was Sean Derry there. What a great guest and some great insight. And now, here's Paddy McCarthy from our first ever live podcast back in January talking about the fans and survival Sunday.
4: Let me see where you coming from. baby Let me see. I'd
8: say for for a number of reasons probably the 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 team that we went to Sheffield with. Yeah. Um, to Hillsborough yeah for a number of reasons. Just the, the characters in there um, the, the mentality, the focus, the changing room beforehand was like a, was like a, a nightclub. Um, we had... Uh, we yeah, actually,
7: we uh, certainly went to a nightclub
5: after the game, didn't we, Paddy? Did draw. we? Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Ertel was there, remember? <laughs> yeah,
8: yeah. I don't remember, but people yeah, keep yeah, telling yeah. me about it. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, yeah. It, listen, if you can't celebrate after a game like uh, that, uh, yeah. when, when can you celebrate? We certainly
7: and celebrated the draw. Yeah,
8: there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we celebrated a few more days after that as well. So it was... Now that was probably my favourite team. It was just... When when you're in the change room and you look around and, and you, you see players left, right and centre that you know are going to max out and give it everything, that's, that's a powerful feeling. Um, and we had that in abundance. And you had players not getting paid um, who didn't down tools and... I think when when you look back, at, there's not many teams that go through administration, um, get deducted 10 points, and you have players that are getting not getting paid. Um, we had young lads struggling to get, get to work because they couldn't put petrol in their car. But it just kind of galvanised everybody. I remember the atmosphere at, at Selhurst Park was against Peterborough yeah. after the Newcastle game, and that was just a powerful atmosphere. It was like the whole club just came together and I think the momentum has just continued on since that, that game yeah, cause, yeah. yeah
1: and obviously Paul Hart came in and did an incredible job um, there's, there's rumours that he did an amazing team talk before that game is that a half time team talk or
8: something? Half time. Do you know what? I can't. I can't really remember. He, he was a. He was a very impressive man. Heart. He, he was. I think he was about six foot four, Greeted you, stared you in the eyes. Um, was always honest with you. Um, and he and he had got a way of 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 making the team sort of um, tick at the right times. Um, if he if you needed to tell you you weren't doing so well, he'd done that in no uncertain terms. And if he if he thought you were doing well, he would tell you that as well. So um i can't really remember the the, the the halftime team talk i can remember what he did afterwards the sheffield you know uh, wednesday game he, he just literally walked in and we were all celebrating he shook everybody's hands and went say i'm off i'm off on holiday and, <laughs> and that was the last we've seen of him so <laughs> i think we actually seen him at the player of the year did we he actually done a, a live video from from barbados <laughs> it was, to the, yeah, yeah, I don't know whether anybody was there. I can remember it was just completely bizarre. But he was a great man, hearty
5: Sean Derry said it was a brilliant team. He, he said he couldn't remember the details, but he could remember the fact that he was dressed like Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> he, yeah. he came in this bizarre outfit. <laughs> but he said, said it was yeah. the most amazing thing. But did, did he sort of leave you to it, Paul Hart? Did he realise <laughs> that as players you were capable of looking after yourself and just, or was it <clears throat> tactics and organisation? And
8: um, yeah, he was organised. He was he was tactically astute. We studied the opposition um but it, we we had a a song um I think at the Brook Climbers 500 miles and we used to play that before we just went down so teams would be waiting in the tunnel and we'd have this this music blaring, and then lads were jumping on skips and bouncing off walls and headbutting each other and <laughs> Johnny Earl loved it Desert was uh, ages, he just he always brings it up so it was it was just really bizarre i mean it, it was <laughs> i think um when we went to Sheffield, their fitness coach said to our, our fitness coach, what's going on in there? Look, are they, not, are they nervous? And he says, yeah, they're normally a little bit louder than that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the whole team, is, is you, you get the information. I think the most important thing as a player, you're sort of programmed into just performing. So you, you, whatever happens off the pitch, you, you step across that white line. It's, you just go and perform. Um and then you'll talk about it and digest it in the change room and everybody'll speak about it and then once Saturday morning comes you, you you go out to perform, that's your that's your job, that's your duty. And like I said, I think the the big thing was that we, we had a such a good group of players um that nobody even thought about down until from from that moment. It was never never a question. Um, it was never a question when the manager got sold to, a, to QPR. It was never a question when Victor went, when, when Jose went. When There was no talk of anybody ever down until. There was no talk of relegation. There was no no talk of anything like that. It was just, we've got to perform. and We've got a, a duty for, for this football club. That was we, really it.
5: We talked in the first half, Paddy, about the club keeping fans involved in conversations and communicating. Were the players aware
8: that this situation was unfolding or did it come out of the blue through with you um, yeah it, it kind of came out of the blue to be honest it, it, it did come out of the blue I, I hadn't long been at the football club and obviously from the outside looking in anytime I came to Selhurst Park I, I thought special place to come and play football the year before I came um, playoff semi-final I met Neil Warnock he was so positive about the place and um, Simon Jordan and the players we had and it was just, everything just looked right. So I, I had no idea myself about about the club being in this situation. Um, I don't think any of the rest of the lads did either. So it was a bolt from the blue. But um, like I said, strangely enough, looking back on it, it was just, yes, you're not getting paid. Does that frustrate you? Yeah, of course, it's going to frustrate anybody. But you just perform because you that's what you do. Very similar to these guys tonight for the pod, actually. Um <laughs>
1: and me <laughs> <laughs> very true very true okay Rob have we got another question yeah.
3: hello sorry Luke Turrigan. Um I was just going to say that um, my brother and I were lucky enough to be at the Watford away game in March 2010 um, with that embrace with Matty Lawrence and I was just wondering what was going through your mind at that point because
5: it seemed to be a, a moment that everyone sort of really reacted to um, so I was just wondering what were your thoughts at that time
8: oh, I'm a sucker for a long blondes. <laughs> 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 no, I'm only joking. <laughs> Sorry. Um it's, it's
7: gin it's not blonde, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Weirdo. Huh?
8: The um No, I dunno. It was just the again it was like an an emotional time, wasn't it? We were fighting for our lives and um we were ahead in the game and the palace fans were Packed out behind the goal and singing, and it was sort of I don't know. It's just a lot of people ask me about that, and I don't think anybody's ever dug up any footage of it or anything like that. But it was a real sort of weird, weird moment where yeah, just two sort of emotional lads uh, wearing the heart and the sleeves and um, just ended up embracing. It was, <laughs> 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 and then sort of stood back and thought, we've got a, a corner kick to defend here, so. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's always interesting though hearing players talking the same way that fans do
1: because I think obviously we go through those emotions as well we've probably felt the same in that moment but it's interesting to hear that
8: y- you're not far from that at all you feel the same emotions no not at all yeah. you gotta, you got you got boy into into the football clubs you, you 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 play for um that's that's a big thing for me that's why yeah, any club I've played for I've, I always wanted to live in the local area um, be around the people get a feel for the place and I, I was like that at Leicester um I was like certainly like that at Palace. I live down the road. There's Palace fans everywhere I go. And When you lose, you, they let you know about it. When you win, they, they're embracing it. And, um, I, but for me, that, that, that's really important. Yeah. Like that contradicts
5: a lot of what the media tell us about Premier League footballers. They're all fancy downs. They pay too much. They don't care who they play for. And that's your experience. What you're telling us is the opposite of that, isn't it? So do you think that's more common for footballers than we, than we believe? Uh, yeah i I
8: believe so certainly a lot of lads that that i've played with um would have that similar sort of mentality where they they're we're just normal people um normal people from working class backgrounds it's a working class sport there's nobody nobody here that's special he's just given given an opportunity to to play football and what a great job it is but ultimately that's what it is um it's it's a job um it's a but if you can buy into the football club that you play for, it's, that's powerful. Um, and certainly around that era that I spoke about when somebody asked me about the best sort of team, we had um, player after player who really bought into the football club.
4: Well, Let me see where you coming from. up baby. Let me see Well
1: you That was Teddy McCarthy, great guest at our live pod. And hopefully we get to do another live pod soon. We were planning one for the end of this season. Obviously, it's been cancelled. But we will do another one soon, hopefully. I've already got a player lined up who is going to be brilliant as long as we can all actually get into live venues. Lads, it's been an absolute pleasure going through this game with you and hearing your stories. Uh, Richard, thank you very much for uh, delving into the past with me again.
2: Well, it was a pleasure. I'd, I'd just like to point out that like Alan Lee, who ran off the pitch, remember, when um, he got substituted, he couldn't handle it. When, And then he said he cried. I'm going to let you into a secret. I cried like a baby after that game. It was just sheer relief. And I was on my, as I explained earlier, I was on my own and my middle daughter came down and said, what's happened? What's, what's wrong? You know, and thought, you know, someone in the family had died. I said, we, we just stayed up. He just <laughs> looked at me and went, Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's it's weird when you watch something on television That is so important rather than being at the game You guys are at the game So you have a different uh, view of it, a different experience But it will always be there And it'll stick in the memory And as I say, I think it's the platform for the rebirth of our club
1: Beautiful I cried as well, to be honest, at the game Jesse, did you shed a tear?
3: I think so so, uh, yeah, so I, hard. I think it's just more in disbelief. <laughs> more in disbelief, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's it's a golden moment in our in our history. It's just like Stockport, really, and all those other crucial May games that we've come to yeah. um, look back on fondly. As you can see from the amount of time, amount of stuff Palace are putting out right now on their channels. So, yeah, what's next? What's the next one? It's the Brighton playoffs.
1: Brighton playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> another big may game uh guys it's been so good talking to you about this game thank you so much uh, i'm really enjoying these parties hot pants episodes that we're doing uh, and there'll be plenty more to come so thank you for listening we really appreciate it uh stay safe and we'll be back soon on the fyp podcast <laughs>